For many of us, when we look at our lives, we think seems, things seem to be out of control. Think about weight. We say, well, I got too much weight, or I got too little weight, or the weight that I have is in the wrong places, right? And then we think about money, and we say, where did it all go? I had money, then I don't have money. And we say the same thing about time. We say there's never enough time. And we want our lives to count for Christ, because we'd say, well, there's never enough time, there's never enough money, and oftentimes, we don't even like ourselves, they did a survey not too long ago, and they asked people, do you like yourself? And a large number of people didn't like themselves. And so this morning, we're going to begin looking at taking control of our lives. I want you to look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want us to look at verse 7. And I want you to see what it says. Paul writes and says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity. That's the word for fear. He says, God hadn't give us, given us fear. In other words, when we walk out these doors, we're not supposed to be afraid. He's not given us the spirit of fear, but what he's given us is power, love, and the word discipline actually means self-control. That's why I put it up there. He's given us power, love, and self-control. Think about this, the power to live for him. That's the Holy Spirit. We spend a good bit of time on that, especially when we're talking about temptation and how the Holy Spirit's there to give us victory and all of those kind of things. So he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. He's given us love. And that's God's love through us to others. I mean, that's what we're really boiled down to. We're going to love other people. And the reason we love other people is because God loves us and God allows us to love other people. And that's, that's a great one. And then the last one, it's, our Bible says discipline, but the word is actually self-control. And that's what discipline means, controlling ourselves. And when we think about that, we think, controlling myself, I don't have any problem controlling myself. I think most of us have a great deal of problem controlling themselves. And we think about it, being in control of ourselves, we live in a fallen world that calls us the world. Remember, we talked about temptation. There's the devil controlling the world, and the world controls and affects our flesh. And we live in a world that is calling out to us to fulfill the desires of the flesh. And you remember what we said? We said this, that if we carry out the desires of the flesh, we will die. And it's true. You, you end up dying if you're not careful. And not only do you die spiritually the moment you sin, and we're not talking about eternal life or anything like that, but we're talking about fellowship dying, but you can sin and live out the flesh enough that you end up dying physically, and that can happen. So we want to take control of our lives. We want to live in such a way that we hear Jesus say, what? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want. We want to make a difference. And, and when we look at Galatians 5, you remember the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Anybody know the last one? Self-control. That's the last one. Self-control. So in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have self-control. And so we're going to talk about it. It's possible. What is involved when we think about taking control of our lives? So at the end, we'll be able to say we ran the race, we fought the fight, we kept the faith, and we can hear Jesus say, well done. So here's what we're going to do. For the next three weeks, this week, the next week, and the next week, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at my perception. We're going to look at viewing our self-image. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And we're going to see if you, when you say, what does self-image have to do with self-control? If you don't understand who you are, then that's the foundation for everything else you do. And so we're going to look at that. Then we're going to look at managing my time, our plans. And a lot of people are very good at managing time. A lot of people aren't. We'll talk about that. And then my possessions, using the resources and money, and we're going to see how that fits together. So our self-image, our time, and our things, we need to make control in those areas. And so many have an unbiblical view of themselves. They see each other. They see themselves from the world's view. So many people fail in the use of their time. Because you know what? Time is more important than money. You understand that. You can get more money, but you can't get what? 
You can't get more time. It's going by faster and faster. And let me tell you, the older you are, the, no, the, the more you realize how fast it's going, and you can't change it. It's just flying by. And we need to get control of our time. We need to control of our money. We need to control over even our own lives. And what we talked about in our last study is that we are not victims. We're not victims of time and possessions and even ourselves. We're to, do, we're to take control. Let me give you sort of a brief outline, okay? So here's what we're going to see. When we talk about perceptions, which is this morning self-image and taking control of ourselves, we're going to look at two views, and we're going to look at God's plan. We're going to see seeing ourselves, and we're going to see our response. And Lord willing, we'll get that all done today, and I don't think it'll take that long. I just want you to see that. When we talk about time, we're going to talk about God and time because sometimes we don't always understand all that. You know, Psalm 92 basically says, teach us to number our days. It doesn't say years. It says teach us to number our days. And we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about using our time. And then the last one, the third lesson, will be my possessions, using my resources. And we're going to talk about the view of possessions and money. We're even going to talk about a budget. And I'm talking about something very, very simple. We're going to talk about giving and we're going to talk about contentment. Those are all powerful things. I think that in the United States, uh, we're the richest country in the world. And yet, uh, so many people have nothing. They spend everything they have. They spend more than they have. They're in trouble in a financial way. There are college students. The average college student comes out uh, with about $28,000 worth of student loan debt. That's the average. There's some at 60 and 70 and 80,000. There's some that don't have any by the grace of God and, and how they took control and those kind of things. So we got people, we're, we're the richest people in the world, and yet we. Uh, some people don't give a penny. They never give anything away. They don't have any resources to give away. They're spending more than they make, and they act like they're victims. And so we're going to talk about those kind of things. So let's start with the foundation. The foundation is how we view ourselves. The foundation is my perception, my self-image, viewing myself. And that's the key. Who are you? What are you supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to view ourselves? And how we view ourselves will shape our lives. Our self-image and our perception makes a big difference. We cannot uh, be shaped and pushed by the world, but we must have a biblical worldview. You remember we always said that if you're not consciously being what? Transformed by the Word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to this world. And so if you're not consciously saying, what does the Bible say and how do I apply this in my life and live this out? If you're not consistently doing this, consciously doing this, this world and this view of the world and everything about it is going to shape you, especially your self-image. So we want to, by the way, most people have a, a poor self-image. When they do all the studies, it's a poor self-image because our identity, here's part of the problem. Our self-image, we, we look at how the world views us. Think, how does the world view people physically, materially, and intellectually? Think about it. This is what the world says. The world says if you're really beautiful, now this is the world's view of beauty. If you're really beautiful, you're good. But if you're not very beautiful, if you're not very handsome, if you're not, you know, if you're not athletic, if you're not, if you don't look good, if you're not all trim. If you, you know, so it, the world says, look at you. you. You don't measure. I still can remember a Seinfeld. And, you know, I, I, I like Seinfeld some. There were some bad things in there. But one time they were arguing over how many, what, what percentage of people were actually look good. And they said like 3%. You know, they said 3%, 97% of the people look horrible. I mean, that's what they were arguing over and laughing. I think many people in our world think that they don't look good. Because the world tells them that looking good is this. This person, this model, this athlete, this person. I actually believe, and I, I actually, this is me. I think most people look great. I think most guys look good. I think most girls look beautiful. 
I always have, by the grace of God. When I look at people, I don't. I see them all looking good. So I'm the 97, Seinfeld's the three, but that's just me. But most of us, we look at ourselves and we go, ooh, ooh, I don't look like that thing in the magazine. I don't look like that, that guy who's playing football or that guy who's doing that, you know, some kind of karate. Who knows? And then, and then materially, the world looks at us and said, how much money do you have? Because if you have a lot of money, you're something. If you don't have a lot of money, you're nothing. What about your authority? What kind of job do you have? Uh, you know, what, what about your possessions? What's your car look like? What, what kind of car? How many cars do you have? What kind of house? What, and our world says, if you live in a little bitty house with an old car, you're nothing. You live in a great big house with a lot of cars, you're something. That's what our world says. I, I'm not going to say this in a bad way, but I still remember when I first came to Stillwater, uh... I went into somebody's house who was actually in the church at the time. And I said, well, I really like your house. And they said, you know, if you really make some money, you'll be able to have a house like mine someday. And the truth is, I didn't want a house like theirs. I didn't care anything about it. I liked their house, but I didn't want a house like theirs. I, I'm not after that. But that's what our world thinks. You've got to have a house like this. The truth is that most people who have all that stuff, they're broke as can be when you really do the studies. But anyway, let's, the third thing is intellectually. What, what, what kind of degree do you have? Where did you go to school? What were your grades like? What's your credentials? What's behind your name? What, what did you do that makes you important? And so if you say, well, I, you know, I, I just got a regular old college degree, or I just didn't even get a college degree, well, you're not important. You're nothing. You, if you don't have a PhD, or if you don't have this, if you don't have that, if you don't own this company, if you don't, I mean, this. So what people say when, so what do people say when they meet you? Hey, what do you do? You want to say, I'm the president of the bank, or I collect the garbage? Oh, we don't want to, yeah, because see, that's how we judge each other. That's what our world does. And I'm telling you, this is what our world does. And many of us are bought into that. And they say, I want to feel important. I want to look good. I, I want to look rich. I want to look this. And I want to do that. I mean, and we get caught up into all that. Now, there's a trap. Anytime you look around you to judge yourself in that way, there's a trap because th there's an aspect of inferiority or superiority. You think you're inferior. We can always find somebody better looking, stronger, has more money. But you can. You can always find, it doesn't matter how rich you are, there's somebody else richer. It doesn't matter how good you think you look, there's somebody else that looks better. It doesn't matter how fast you are, there's somebody else usually faster. I mean, it doesn't matter. And so whenever you start judging yourself by others, a lot of times you say, I don't measure up. That's what our world says. You don't measure up. But then you can also flip it around. You can look at other people and say, I'm better than they are. They don't have the money I have. They don't have the suit that I have. They don't have the clothes that I have. They can't, they're not really as athletic as I am. They don't go to these things. I get invited to this thing, but they don't get invited to this thing. And we, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It's pride. Everything we have, he says, everything we have comes from God. Why do you act like you did something to get it? And it is so easy sometimes that you can always find somebody who's in worse shape than you are. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. You can go, oh, poor things. Do you remember the Pharisee? The Pharisee and the, and the tax collector went to the temple, and the Pharisee got there, and he said, thank you, Lord, I'm not like that guy over there. He's a tax collector. He's, I give a tenth of my stuff, and I do this, and I do this. And the other guy said, oh, Lord, uh, 
I, I give my life, and I'm just, I want my life for you. I just want to live for you, and I trust you. And it says, Jesus said, this is the one. This is the right one, not the other guy who thought he was so good. So let me tell you, don't compare yourself. Listen, you want to be you. You don't want to be anybody else. You may think you want to be somebody else, but you don't want to be somebody else. God made you exactly how he made you. You got the personality, everything. And let me tell you, you want to be who you are. I want to show you something, and we're going to go fairly quickly, but I want to show you something. There are two views of ourselves from, it says form, I think, but I think it's supposed to be from the Word of God. You can tell I had something to do with that because my dyslexia, but two views of ourselves form the Word of God, but from the Word of God, Psalm 139 and Romans 5.12. I want you to flip very quickly to Psalm 139. Just flip over there, okay? Sort of back about the middle of your Bible. Psalm 139. And I want you to see there's two views of ourselves from the Bible. And you need to see them both. And we need to understand who we are. Because the world tells you something else. The world tells you you're not important. The world tells you you're not as good. Or the world tells you you are good. You are better. Just look around. You have this. They don't have this. You look this way. They don't look this way. Both of those are wrong. Because what it's saying is... God made me better than these people. God made me worse than these people. No, God made you exactly how he wanted you to be. And we're going to see how he views us. Look at Psalm 139. And look at uh, the, the very first thought is God knows us completely. I want you to understand this. Look at Psalm 139, verse 1. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You, you know my thoughts from afar off. You know everything about me. You know my path. You're acquainted, verse 3, you're acquainted with all my ways. I love verse 4. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Let me tell you what. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. Don't you wish there were some times he'd say, don't say that. I know what you're fixing to say. Don't say that. He knows everything. He knows everything. Look at verse 5. You have enclosed behind me and before me. Your hand is upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. He says, knowing me this way, it's just, I can't, even, I can't even comprehend it all. He knows us completely, and we can't even comprehend it. So the first thing, God knows you completely. You know what the second thing is? He made you. He made you. Look at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. God made us. God made us. I remember looking at the ultrasounds, both of them on our babies, and they, they didn't have all the 3D and everything then, but I can still remember one of them. I don't know if it was Catherine or Sarah. They were at, their hand moved like this, and we could see their hand move when they were doing the ultrasound. And so God is forming. God formed you in your mother's womb. And that word formed there means like a tapestry. It was beautiful. And then, and look at this, verse 14. He formed us. Look, verse 14 says, I, I, am, I thank you, Lord. I am fearfully and wonderfully made wonder, wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. He says, listen, I know what I'm doing. I make good stuff. I don't make bad stuff, right? You know, if you say to God, I don't like the way you made me, God says, who are you to talk to me? I'm the, you know, I'm the potter. You're the clay. I never mess up. How could you say to me, I don't like what you did? No. He knew us. Look at verse 16. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained. God even knew us and, and knows everything. Even before he created us, he knows everything. There's a third thing. He loves us. Listen, if you knew everything about me, you would not love me. But guess what? I wouldn't love you either, right? If I knew everything about you. 
But God knows everything about us. And He made us. And He loves us. He loves us with an unconditional love. Look, look at verse 17. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. Wow. How vast is the sum of them. Wow. You go, whoa. Amazing. He says, if I should kind of count them, count the good thoughts that God has, the precious thoughts that God has about you, if I should try to count them, they would outnumber the sand. And when I wake, I'm still with you. Look, this is not a dream. This is for real. You love me beyond what we could imagine. So think about it. God created you in his image. He's made by you. He knows us. He shaped us. He formed us. He knows us and loves us beyond what we could imagine. Is there anything you could do to change God's love for you? What if you did really great? What if you just served God from the rest of the way on? Would that change God's love for you? No. What if you didn't serve him from this point on? Would that change God's love for you? No, God's love is unchanging. He loves you to the maximum regardless. He loves you because he chooses to love you. So, wow. Now, there's a second view. <laughs> we just saw the good view, okay? There is a second view, and that's in Romans 5, 12. It's through one man sinner of the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all for all what? Sinned. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And Romans 3.23, you know, we're, we're all sinners. And, and the truth is, we're made in the image of God, and, and yet we're sinners too. And so when we look at ourselves and we think about ourselves, we say, I, I'm created by God. He loves me. He knows everything about me. And even that, I, I'm a fallen person, though. I've sinned. I've come short of the glory of God. And one of the great truths is this. We're loved by God even though we're sinners and fall short. We're loved by God. even though. Now, every, we already know. Every time I say something like this, especially when we're doing this temptation study, I say something like, okay, how many of us were tempted and sinned last week? Every hand goes up. We're all sinners. We come short of the glory of God. But who made us? God did. Who loves us? God did. Who knows us? God does. Listen, this is who we are. We need to understand who we are. And because of the fact that God made us and knows us and loves us, he has a plan. And God has a salvation plan. What does it say? God so loved what? The world. That's who? That he did what? He gave his son. What did his son do? He came and what? Died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again to conquer death. That whosoever, which is... Anyone, whosoever would believe in him, not works, faith, would never perish, but have eternal life. God says, look, I love you. I created you. I made you. I know everything about you. I know you're a sinner. I know you're fallen. But I love you so much, I sent my son to die for you. And the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you get what? Eternal life. Eternal life is not a commodity. I've had people say, well, you can get eternal life, but you can give it back. It's not a commodity. It's a relationship. It's an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when he gives you eternal life, it's not something you can give back. It's not something that could end. If it's something that could end, it was not eternal life. It was life for a while. But he doesn't say, I'll give you temporary life. He says, I'll give you eternal life. And that is a relationship with Jesus Christ forever. I hope every one of us in this room have put you, you, that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and he's given you eternal life. 
We've already seen that when we compare ourselves to the world, we're either going to think we're better or we're going to think we're worse. When we get shaped by this world, it messes us up. But when we look at the Bible, the Bible says God knows us, God created us, and God loves us. Even though we're fallen, he has got a plan to bring us to himself. The story of the Bible is how the perfect God does what? Bring sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. Now, this takes us to this part. How should we see ourselves? How should we see ourselves? What should be our self-image? Knowing what we know, and it is this, we should see ourselves as a child of God and secure in Christ. Now, there's so many other things. I'm just thinking about it from a self-image view. You should see yourself as a child of God and secure in Christ. Let's talk about it. A child of God. John 1, 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become what? Children of God, even those who believe on his name. When you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you become a child of God. Listen, there's all this thing that, I mean, I get so mad at all the politicians. And One lady was saying, there's a spark of divinity in every person. No, there's not. We're created in the image of God, but God is not in every person. There's not a spark of divinity in every person. When you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, you become a child of God, and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Only those who believe in Jesus Christ have God in them. We're all created in the image of God, but we all do not have God in Children of God are those who belong to God because they have put their faith in Christ, and he calls them his children. Unbelievers are not children of God. So when people say, we're all God's children. No, we're not. Only those who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. Galatians 3.26, you are children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. That's Galatians 3.26. How should you view yourself today? You are a what? A child of God. You understand that? Most of the world is not a child of God. Most of the world, what we would call pagans, unbelievers, people who have never put their faith in Christ. Hopefully there are people all over the world who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. But there are a lot of people in our country who go to church every Sunday and they're not children of God. They have never put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They go to church. They got baptized maybe when they were younger. They've heard all this stuff. They have never heard the salvation message. They've never put it together. They have never trusted in Christ to give them eternal life. And so there are a lot of religious people all over the world and in the United States who are not children of God. You should view yourself as a child of God. That's who you are. It's amazing. So what's your self-image? Oh, I don't measure up. Wait a minute, measure up. You're a child of God. How much better could it be? Think about who you are. You are a child of the living God because he puts you in his family and it can't ever end. It can't ever end. Why he uses the family unit aspect is because this, when you have a child, when, you, when a mom and daddy has a child, it doesn't matter when that child grows up, if that child says, I hate you, I'm changing my name, I, they're still your child. Nothing can change that. And when you're born into the family of God, you can say to God, I don't like you, I don't mean, listen, you can't change it. Once you're a child of God, you're a child of God, and that's the grace, graciousness of our Savior. Now, there's a second part. Not only should you see yourself as a child of God, you should understand that you are secure in Christ. 
that you are secure forever in your relationship with Jesus Christ for all eternity. First John 5, 13, these things were written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know it. Listen, I see people who struggle, who struggle because they've trusted Christ and they have eternal life and they're a child of God, but they're confused. And people have told them that you might could lose it. Or if you don't live right, you didn't get it. Or if you don't live right, you lose it. Or if you do some bad sin, you, you either never had it or you lose it. And they're going through life with great fear. You should not go through life with fear. You know you've trusted Christ as Savior. He's given you eternal life. You are secure in Christ, and you should know you have eternal life. And let me tell you, we all sin and come short of the glory of God. It has nothing to do with your eternal salvation. Your salvation is not based on your lifestyle. Your salvation is not based on whether you live right or not. Your salvation is not based on whether you sin or not because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Your salvation is based on the fact that you have put your faith in Christ for eternal life and you are secure and saved forever. John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life and they shall what? Never what? Perish. Never. He didn't say, well, he didn't know. He said, you'll never perish. Never. Wow. So, we're created unique by God. That's how we should see ourselves. We should see the plan of salvation, that Jesus Christ died and rose again for us. We should see ourselves as a child of God by faith, and we're secure in Christ. So then what's our response? What is our response to this? And this is where it gets practical. You need to see yourself from God's view. Don't try to be like anybody else. Don't try to be like the world. Don't let the world shape you. You don't have to prove yourself to the world. The only one you ever deal with is your Savior, Jesus Christ. And all you want to hear him say is what? Well done. That's all you care about. And that means taking the gifts, talents, and ability, and everything. And we're going to talk about your time and your possessions. That's coming up. That's the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about that. You don't have to prove yourself. In fact, Romans 12, 2 says, stop being what? Stop being conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Put this in your brain. Say to yourself, I'm a child of God and I'm secure forever. That's who I am. I don't have to be like anything else. I don't have to measure up to the world. I don't have to look like what the world thinks I ought to look like. I don't have to have whatever job that the world thinks I ought to have. I am a child of God, secure in Jesus Christ, and nothing can change that. And that's who I am. And that's who you are. And let me show you something. Like we're about out of time. Let me show you something. You have a new destiny. You know what your destiny is? It's eternal life. You're secure in Jesus Christ. That's your destiny. You're a new person. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, you're a what? You're a new creation. You've got a new family. You're a child of God. That's who you are. And you have a new responsibility. We didn't really even talk about it. But the responsibility is you're an ambassador for Christ. You get to represent the living God in this world. Now, most Christians don't want to, really. They say, just kind of leave me alone. Let me come to church sometimes, give sometimes, and just kind of let me do my thing. No, God says, no, I'm not going to let you just do your thing because you're not your thing. You're my child. I've gifted you. I've given you time, and I've given you what? Money, possessions. Now, what are you going to do with them? What are you going to do with them? Well, I don't have no time. That's because you don't take control of it. I ain't got no money. That's because you don't know how you're using it. Okay? So you need to take control of that. Just like we see who are we, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see what we do with what God has given to us. So let's get control of our lives. So how do you see yourself? Eternal life with Jesus Christ? 
a new creation in Christ, a child of God, an ambassador for Christ. May our self-image be based on the Word of God and not the world. <laughs>